So far in this three-week series, we've been talking about when Jesus' heart was moved. And we asked the question, does what moves the heart of Jesus move me? Last week we talked about lost souls and how Jesus' heart is moved with compassion when he thinks of those lost souls that are all around us. And we talked about how our heart is the seat of our emotions. And your heart can be moved with more than just compassion. And this morning, we're going to see some times when Jesus got angry. When Jesus got angry. Now, the Bible is clear that Jesus cares when innocent people are harmed. He cares when uh, there are widows among us that need help. That children uh, going without uh, and, and being neglected. He cares about the hungry and the poor people that can't help themselves, it moves the heart of Jesus to action. Now, we get the picture a lot in God's word about Jesus' forgiveness, his mercy, and his grace. And to be honest, those are the major things in his life. But there does come a time when enough is enough. And there is a time when sin is so blatant and injustice is so clear that Jesus flips some tables and drives people out of the church building with a whip. That does happen. There is a time when Jesus gets to that point. Now, most people don't realize that this actually happened twice. We see the first time in the book of John, right at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, and then right after the first miracle, again, in the other three gospels, right at the end of Jesus's ministry. Now, people like to hijack uh, this passage and these two passages about Jesus flipping tables so that they can go on angry rants on the internet about sins that they don't presently struggle with. Or you can hear people say a lot of times uh, about this passage that it means that you can't sell church t-shirts in the church lobby. And that's what they get from this passage of scripture. But people spread messages of anger and hate and judgment, and then they cite Jesus flipping tables as an excuse. But Jesus wasn't just sitting in his bedroom criticizing people through a screen. Let's look at what this actually was about. Now, because these two events are so closely related, we're going to go over both of them today. So we're going to be first in John chapter 2 and verse 13. John chapter 2, verse 13. It says, whosoever, or excuse me, that doesn't say that at all. It says, the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and in the temple he found those that were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them out, all out of the temple, with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. So Jesus comes into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And he walks through the temple walls into the court of the Gentiles. And the, the whole place looks like a flea market. There are tables set up to buy animals for sacrifices. Guys walking around with pigeons saying, get your pigeons, yeah? Right? That's how they sound, right? There's cows moving. There's sheep. Hey, you guys, when there's less of you, you laugh more at my jokes. I think I like this. Uh, yeah, but there's cows moving. There's sheep walking around in the crowd. 
And Jesus does not like what he sees. See, Passover was the busiest time of the year for the temple, with people coming from miles and miles and miles away to worship God. Now, sometimes people wouldn't want to travel with their sacrifices, and instead, they just intended to buy their sacrifices there in Jerusalem when they arrived. But see, the problem is, just like it's $7 for a hot dog at a baseball stadium, uh, that, where the hot dog actually costs like a dime, they were jacking up the price here at the temple as well to make a huge profit. And they also had a place to exchange money for people that lived far away in other lands because they had to pay their temple tax. And they needed to exchange their uh, tax into proper currency. And again, they were exploiting people and profiting off of the worship of God uh, for their own gain. So Jesus saw this, and it was obvious that it was just plain wrong. It was not okay. But it's kind of funny, because he doesn't fly off the table immediately, and he doesn't uh, just you know, freak out. What he does is he goes and carefully makes a whip of cords. And uh, I don't recommend this now, because you, know, you might get arrested, but this is what Jesus did. And then he goes to work. He takes that whip of cords, he drives out the cows, the sheep, and the people all out of the temple, he dumps all over the tables filled with the dirty money. And Jesus says, get this stuff out of my father's house. Stop taking advantage of people who are here to worship. Jesus couldn't stand back and allow the worship of God to be perverted. See, Jesus cleansing the temple is a fulfillment of prophecy given in Malachi 3 one through three, hundreds of years before this. And that's pretty amazing because that temple was destroyed just 30 years later. And for the last 2,000 years, they have not had a temple in Jerusalem. And this is significant because the religious Jews today think the Messiah hasn't come yet, but they would have to admit that over the past 2,000 years, he could not have come today, and he could not have come over the past 2,000 years because there has not been a temple. So Jesus could not, the Messiah could not fulfill that prophecy. But we know that Jesus came 2,000 years ago. And then Jesus goes on to tell them that he would tear down that temple and build it again after three days. But they didn't understand. They thought he meant literally the building of the temple. And they're like, look, this temple took 46 years to build. We'd love to see you build it in three days. But Jesus was talking about the temple of his body, that he would lay down his life and rise again on the third day. But even the disciples didn't get it. Have you ever watched one of those Marvel movies? They have these things in them called Easter eggs. And there are these hidden things in them that you don't see at first, but they're a clue of a future character or a plot line that would happen later on. Now this right here, we see the original Easter egg where he, would, he says he would tear down the temple and build it back up. Well, John 2, just a few verses later, says when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the, wor that the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, literally, this statement that they missed pointed towards Easter when he would rise again on the third day, but they didn't get it until later. Now, Jesus was also pointing to the fact that he would replace the temple worship and the ceremonial law. 
that his grace was better than all those things, and he would replace the temple. Now, this is the first time that Jesus flipped tables. A couple years later, Jesus comes back to Jerusalem, but this time with a celebration. We call it the triumphal entry. People laid down their cloaks and palm branches and welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem, and they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, and he rode in on this donkey for his last Passover. Well, he heads over to the temple again. He goes into the walls and he sees the very same thing. Once again, the court of the Gentiles is overrun by salesmen and money changers making a profit off of strangers and foreigners' worship. Let's check that out in Mark chapter 11, verse 15. Mark chapter 11, verse 15. It says, then he came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and he began to drive those out who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of all those who sold pigeons. Verse 17 says, and he was teaching them, saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. See, Jesus wasn't just making noise and criticizing and complaining. He was on the front lines correcting the injustice that he saw. And it actually says here that he was teaching them. It doesn't say that he got in fights with people or he debated with someone. It says he taught them and he drove them out. He corrected that sin. But see here, Taking advantage of people was not the only problem that Jesus had with the money changers and the merchants being in the court of the Gentiles in the temple. See, Jesus here is quoting from Isaiah chapter 56 when he says this, when he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. That's him quoting a passage of the Bible. And that chapter in Isaiah starts by saying that God would make a place for foreigners, strangers, and the eunuchs to worship him. See, because they were not Jewish, they couldn't go into the inner court. But God would make them a place, and that place was called the court of the Gentiles. God had set a place apart for Gentiles, foreigners, strangers to come and pray and worship within the walls of the temple. And they had set up the money changers, and they had brought cows and sheep and pigeons. And they set up this whole trade situation where God had set apart for strangers and foreigners to worship. And when Jesus walked into the temple, he saw this place reserved for prayer and worship for all people overrun with the business of greed. It was this place in the temple that God had set apart for them. There was welcome into this place. But instead, they were pushed out to make way for cows, sheep, and money changers' tables. J.D. Greer says this. He says, they had transformed the only open access point for the Gentiles in the temple into a catalog of comfort and conveniences for the already saved. Having a place to change money and uh, buy and sell sacrifice so close to the altar was very convenient for believers and it served their needs well, but it kept outsiders from being able to see what was going on. 
See, Jesus' heart was moved for suffering, forgotten, and marginalized people, pushed out because of these religious practices. And this exclusion and profiteering from the good intentions of others enraged Jesus into pulling an Indiana Jones-style cleanup act in the temple, complete with a handmade whip. See, sharp words were not enough here. He overturned tables, he threw chairs across the room, and he left the place a mess. Was he emotional? Absolutely. Was he out of control? Not at all. It was unbridled, righteous anger and zeal for the house of God. So here's the question for us this morning. Does oppression of the poor, exclusivity in worship, or an attitude of racism in the church provoke that kind of disgust in us? Do those things move you? Because they moved Jesus. There's some other forgotten people that the Bible tells us about. And Jesus commands that we don't forget about. James 1.27 says this. And it can't be more clear. It says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Widows and orphans move the heart of Jesus, and they should move our heart too. There's nothing more pure for the church to do than to help someone that can never help them back. Talking about children, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 6, Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck, and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's pretty harsh words right there. Jesus says, if you harm one of these children, if you abuse one of these children, if you neglect one of these children, it's better for you to have a concrete bow tie on and chunked into the sea than for you to do that. It sounds like a mob hit, right? You put on some concrete you know, shoes on someone and throw them in the ocean. But that's how serious Jesus is about children. And that's why we need to be serious about children. That's why we invest in our uh, kids' ministry, in our student ministry. And that's why we do things like this snow program. Why? Because G children move the heart of Jesus, and they should move our heart as well. Yeah, they might not be able to give tithe. They might not be able to serve on the welcome team. But Jesus cares about these people. Hebrews 13.3 tells us to remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. The Bible commands us to remember our brothers and sisters in uh, prison and their families. And this is including in America and those that are suffering in prison as the persecuted church around the world. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 35, Jesus says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then all the people said, Well, when did this happen, Jesus? When did we do this for you? Verse 40 says, And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Here Jesus says when we minister to the hungry, to the thirsty, to the sick, to the foreigner, to the underserved, to the prisoner, we minister 
to Jesus. And lastly, Hebrews 13, 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. See, if we want to be the heart of Clarksburg, then we need to love what God loves, and God loves people. So does what moves the heart of Jesus move us? We just laid it out very clearly. Jesus cares about the orphan, the widow, people of other races, the persecuted church, prisoners, foreigners, the poor, the sick, the hungry, the underserved, the foreigners. This is what moves Jesus' heart. Now, our church does some great things in the community and around the world, but I can honestly say we don't do anything with some of these things that we just saw obviously printed in God's word. God commands us to do some of these things, and we have holes. And I want to change that. And I imagine you do too. Now, there's an example in 2 Corinthians of Paul taking up special offerings for the persecuted and for the hungry and the needy church in Jerusalem. And the church council and the mission and outreach and the staff have come together and decided that we have to do something. So for this entire year, what we're going to do is every month we're going to highlight a forgotten segment of our society that we know that Jesus loves. And we're going to do something above and beyond our normal giving. Each month, we're going to highlight a special people group and designate a special offering towards helping those forgotten people. And we're going to explain a little bit more about that before the offering here in a few minutes. We might not be able to have a ministry to everything, but we can do something. So let's talk about the two ways that we can live out the example of Christ in our lives today. We saw here that we need to stand up for what is right. Jesus stood up for what is right. Now listen, that's very different than screaming and yelling that we are right. Those are two very different things. That's easy to get in an argument and to get in a fight with someone on the internet about how you're right and they're wrong and you both leave further entrenched in your own opinions. No, we're talking about doing something. Doing something to correct the problem. See, sin ought to make us angry. Why? Because sin hurts people. And sometimes sin hurts the people that are involved in it. And that ought to make us angry. Because I don't know about you, but I'm tired of seeing people's lives ruined by sin. It's very obvious around us. It's clear that we're around people every day that is just like, man, I wish I could just make them love Jesus and do what the Bible says because if they would just pour their lives into Jesus, they would see, yeah, it might not be easy, but there's peace and there's joy and there's love and there's another type of way to live. When we see sin and injustice in this world, it's a call for us to do something. And yelling that abortion is wrong doesn't help a single baby. Even sharing an article about it is not enough. What action can you take to actually correct the problem? Jesus didn't stand outside the temple and just yell about it. He did something. He turned over some tables. There was a church in North Carolina where a young woman got burdened for the abortion epidemic, and she set out to actually make a difference. She had heard the statistics that women that get ultrasound are twice as likely to not get an abortion. 
So she set out to raise money to set up a mobile ultrasound van to go around the low-income areas and give out free ultrasounds. She didn't just talk about the problem. She didn't just post about the problem. She flipped some tables and set out to do her part to correct the problem. We need to stand up for what is right. Notice I didn't say stand up to prove that we are right and someone else is wrong. And also, I'm not talking here about preferences. I'm talking about real problems of suffering and sin-bound and hurting people. We need to put action behind our anger at sin and how it hurts people. We need to give our time. We need to give our money to do something. Too often, Christians just scream at the dark instead of taking a light out into the dark. We need to stand up for what is right. And secondly, we need to make room for outsiders. We need to be a place that welcomes strangers and people that are far away from God. We need to make sure that people aren't pushed out by traditions or preferences. We need to make sure that when someone comes in, they feel welcome. And sometimes that's simple, just as simple as me not wearing a three-piece suit. You don't know how many times I've had people say, hey, I'm so much more comfortable. Thank you. I don't have a suit. And, and the fact that you don't wear one makes me feel like I belong here. And that's why we do that kind of stuff. That's why we make room for the outsider that might not understand all the traditions and all the social cues that we have come up with over the last 2,000 years to say that church is supposed to do this. We need to make room for the outsider. We ought to have people from every ethnic background, every side of the tracks, every generation, all coming together to worship God. In fact, that's what the Bible tells us heaven is going to be like. In Revelations 5, 9, it says, in heaven that they will sing a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe, every language, and people, and nation. And you have made a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. God loves people from every color, every background, all coming together to worship him. And we ought to work towards doing that the best that we can. We need to live in a way that welcomes people to Jesus. We need to set out to get out of our comfort zones, out of our cliques, out of our habits and our patterns that have stuck us in a place where we don't interact with the people that are really outside suffering and make room in our worship for outsiders. So what makes Jesus angry? When religious people take advantage of people for their own gain. When forgotten people suffer, and when outsiders aren't welcomed in and they are pushed out of the house of God because they don't fit in. God has made a place for them, and it's right here. Jesus stood up for what is right. Jesus spoke for those that didn't have a voice. Jesus stood up for the innocent and the outsiders, and Jesus cares about the suffering. And now it's your turn. Talk isn't enough. Change requires action. Flip some tables. Drive out some lies. Don't let sin set up shop in the, in the lives of our loved ones. Stand up for what is right. Stand up for the outcast. And look, if God is giving you a burden for something, that doesn't mean 
that you take it to Pastor Phil and say, hey, we need to start this ministry and then leave it there and just say, well, he didn't do anything with it. I can't do everything. We can't do everything. But you can do something. You can be the light of the world. You are a missionary to Harrison County. How's it doing? How's your efforts going? In the past year, how can you track what impact you've made in your neighborhood? You are the light of the world. Let's pray for God to help us to be bold and to give us courage to take action and help us find those outsiders and bring them to Jesus and help us to be like Jesus and to have a heart like Jesus. Let your head bowed and eyes closed this morning. Those of you online, if you'd join us as well in this moment of thinking on these hard truths. We have a way of ignoring the problems in our society. We don't want to deal with them. It's just easier that way. We get very comfortable. We blind our eyes to certain areas of the city. We just don't go there. We don't want them to come around our neighborhood. Those are the people that Jesus went to. In fact, he went to them so often and so much that people said, hey, he eats with sinners. What is up with that? What's going on here? He's supposed to be this big religious leader. Why isn't he out with all the other city officials and the people that are important? Why is he eating with sinners? Jesus cares about forgotten people. And if we want to love what God loves, we have to love people. Messy people, broken people, people that wear backpacks, people that sleep under awnings at the back of our church. We might not always know how to help. We can be kind. We can notice them. We can show love. There's forgotten people all over this world. Widows and orphans. People still in slavery. The persecuted church. We can't neglect our brothers and sisters in Christ. These are the things that Jesus cares about. Here's the question is, if Jesus walked in to our temple here this morning, what tables would he flip over? What traditions, what practices, what way are we standing in the way of outsiders coming to him? With every head's bowed and eyes closed, let's meditate on these thoughts, reflect on these hard words from God's word.